This is the PR Pod, the podcast that brings you expert tips for working in PR and finding your niche. With your host, Brooke Burns. And just a note for those who are listening overseas, predominantly in the US, potentially in the UK, in Australia, we refer to talent managers as being the people that manage the commercial agreements associated with celebrities or influencers, whereas in the States, certainly, those people are called talent agents. So throughout this interview, you're going to hear a reference to talent managers a lot. So if you are in the US or the UK or somewhere else that calls them talent agents, just keep in mind that talent agents and talent managers in Australia are the same thing. Welcome to the PR pod, Corey Cooper. Hello, Brooke. (laughs) Corey joins me today for our episode on how to approach talent for a partnership. We've worked together from back when I was in television publicity at Network 10 and a number of times since then. He knows more than most when it comes to talent. Corey's worked with talent in his roles in television and music publicity, plus he's been a talent manager for a number of years at IMG. So what is a talent manager and what role do they play in the lives of talent? Well, I would say that um, we develop and manage all commercial relationships on behalf of the talent. We are usually the first port of call when a PR wants to engage them in any commercial activities or press activities um, and a shoulder to cry on. <laughs> so do you manage like their day-to-day? Like, Do you book them into hair appointments and stuff for... There's no hard and fast rule. Yes, some of my clients, I would be booking um, stylists and hair and glam, if hair and makeup for. If it's relevant to the job, but a, you wouldn't you wouldn't be like, oh, it's a Saturday, I've got to go get my hair blow dried. You're not you're not a personal assistant. No, no. no. Com- it's commercial orientated, so there has to be a monetary kind of relationship for you to... Unless we're profile building. So yes, ah. so so there is, it doesn't always have to be a monetary value involved in it, mm-hmm. but it's, I would say in terms of um, we're managing their careers as opposed to managing their household. So, so an assistant yep. would probably deal with the hair appointment on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. I would be dealing with glam and hair and makeup ahead of sunrise or ahead of a photo shoot, a, a photo or... shoot or, or one of those things. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it's also your job then to determine what is an appropriate partnership or commercial opportunity for your client and what isn't. Absolutely. So an element of someone's PR strategy or campaign may be to align a product with a talent. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple of reasons why you as a brand would want to create that alignment. In your experience, what are the most popular reasons why people want to be, want their brand associated with a celebrity or someone with profile? Well, Authenticity it can quite often help a, you know, FMCG or, you know, household brand give them a, an element of authenticity or humanize the brands a mm-hmm. little bit more. Also, more so now, we're reaching um, the celebrity or the talent social media audience, which is their direct audience, which quite often, in, in my case with my clients, is usually higher than the brand's numbers as well so Mm. you know there's a couple of ways it gives you a talking point for broadcast media or or print media um there it gives the brand it humanizes the brand and you're obviously also now reaching the talent's audience through Mm. social or you know online or whatever it is that you want and i guess that's one of the core points especially with social media these days is you're tapping into a person's network, community, Community. and they have people following them that are greatly invested in them and whatever they tend to 
promote, whether that's well-being or yeah. cooking or yeah. having gorgeous style or something like that. So you're really hitting a very niche demographic Absolutely. of an audience in one in one person or in a couple of people. Absolutely. And don't forget as well with social, we can um, draw down those figures, which is the most important thing that the brand re- or the, or the yeah. PR agency want is, you know, for those 90,000 people that are following X, mm. we've engaged with 63,000 of those. Um, we've had, you know, 45 reactions out of it. You know, we can actually look at the specifics and the, the metrics way more than you can if you're doing a splatter campaign on radio mm. on radio or whatever mm. and you know more and more those analytics are what are used and uh, what is used every day for us to get another brand over the line and I've got to say as well I think um, which is something 10 years ago I wouldn't have thought about is that generally I think when we're when with some of my clients have been engaged by a brand like Johnson & Johnson or Austin or whatever it is when the general public are asking questions over that product, we encourage the influencer, whoever whoever I'm working with, to respond to all of those. All Is it of those the questions. actual physical engagement on social yeah. media? Yep. So they become a, a brand ambassador, even if it's just for one post that they've done they or is that kind of actually that's a really good question brooke it's generally for a larger campaign yeah like an ambassadorship or whatever mm-hmm. when we're looking at doing um this is just purely for social um or one element of a, of a much wider campaign that is that does have social in it and you know if we're doing three or four posts over three months then we'll be answering those questions is this product um you know if i'm pregnant can i use this product mm-hmm. things like that that we will then feedback straight back to the brand so your talent therefore has to be very well aware of the key messages of the brand and I guess the basics of that and that's part of your role is to I guess be the conduit between the brand and and the PR and and the talent and help facilitate whatever it is or be on the front foot of having the initiative to think about this is information my talent's going to require I'll always be involved in a briefing Um, quite often I'll probably end up driving the briefing Mm -hmm. Um, and so that because you know I can simplify the language from the PR through to my client definitely you know and I think we're going to get into this a little bit later in terms of what are key things that I would expect from a PR and key messages is probably one of the most important Mm. things because we can end up working on a campaign and everything's wrong and it's got to be redone again which is the worst case scenario sure so we'll touch back onto your point about reporting Again, I think a little bit later in the Uh podcast, I think that's a really interesting point. Um, In terms of backing it up and talking about how a talent can be of value to a campaign, have you got some examples of where you've been approached for partnerships and you've aligned with one of your talents and it's been really obvious the value that that person has added to the campaign that didn't previously exist? Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, I would say using a brand like L'Oreal, who use multiple different ambassadors through different demographics, Mm. I would say, you know, one of my clients has hit a sweet spot with the Daily Mail. And so whenever she talks about a specific product for L'Oreal, there was a hole with L'Oreal that wasn't really appealing to mums and whatever, you know, they were appealing to a much higher audience. And we've successfully managed to, to fill that gap. Yeah, I would say we initially started out to be a six a six week campaign. We saw incredible success with uh, my client's engagement through social and just referring back to answering all those questions that were coming mm. in. And um, then they saw a spike in editorial activity 
off the back of her posting and being engaged with her audience. And for us, that's the best case scenario. What's happened is it was a six camp, six week campaign that finished, you know, two or three weeks ago. We're now in the process of them repitching to us another uh, six weeks or 12 weeks, whatever it's to take right. us through to Christmas. Yep. So therefore, you know, I haven't delivered the metrics to L'Oreal yet, but Clearly, there's success because they've already wanted to. There's enough. Yeah. There's enough there for them to re-engage. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So let's take it back to the actual engagement and how that kicks off between you and a PR. How do you like to be contacted, email or phone, and what information do you need to see at that initial reach out stage? Mm. Um, I'm not too fussy on whether or not I'm contacted by phone or email. Either one, I'm going to ask you for the other. So, <laughs> so I'm, if you email me, I'm going to follow up with a phone call yeah. or if you call me I'm going to ask for it to get it more information more on, information on mm. email and that's just so that I've got both mm-hmm. as well and also I find that if it's just an email conversation there's nuances that you miss out on or, or you know you, you can ask more questions so look I don't mind either way because I think we're going to end up chatting or emailing anyway but the key things that I need at the beginning of every sort of conversation is budget don't mess around with giving me a whole lot of deliverables without a budget. And and I guess as well, when you start out, you know, in the industry, I don't know if it's embarrassing to talk about money, but I, I absolutely need it mm. before we can go any further yeah. because I just need to know how much of my client's time is going to be invested in this. And, and the thing is, we're not turning away small um, fees. It's just to get an understanding of the level of detail and work that we want to do. So budget, key messaging, and then sort of some kind of commercial brief or whatever, other sort of three elements that I really need. And to um, articulate the what you mean by a reverse brief or commercial brief, kind of what we're hoping for is your client would give us three social media posts or we want to use your client for an advertising campaign and the B1 billboard and three magazines. So, so just to, you want a guide of how... Yep what the usage would be of that person. The usage and also brand details. Like, Mm. so, you know, let's use Johnson Johnson as an example or something. So, you know, a bit of history on the company, what um, category, you know, if it's, if it's, you know, baby food or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, Coca-Cola or whatever it is, just so that we've got a more of an understanding. So yeah, it doesn't need to be, you know, as we drill down into the campaign, the brief will become bigger and bigger and bigger with more and more detail in it, but just an overview of the campaign that the PR agency or the PR is working on. Are you happy when someone approaches you about a specific client and says, you know, this this talent that you manage, I'm interested in them? Or are you happy for people to contact you and say, look, this is what I've got. This is what my brief is. I know you guys manage 10, 20, 50, mm-hmm. 500 mm-hmm talent can you come back to me with some of the ones that you think are the most relevant because I certainly know that I've had some cases before where I can make a rough idea but they mm. might that client may have some specific details like oh um, I know I had one and they needed a talent that had children between the ages of eight and 12 I, that's information yeah. that I don't really have so I would say look I'm thinking about a b and c but are there any others? Is that is that a fine approach to do or is that Abs- annoying for you? No, absolutely. Look, I'm going to know more level of detail over each of my clients. Like you said, if it's 10 or 20 or whatever it is, I, if you come to me for one specific person, 
I will generally come back to you with a couple of options on from my books anyway. Mm. Unless unless you're after something incredibly specific and you want person X yep. and you know you want person X. But if you want a mum who's in her 20s or 30s who has two children, you know, then I can offer you different people that would probably fit that box. And within that box, there's probably going to be price variations on the different people with the different, you know, mm-hmm. level of, of popularity or whatever it is that they have. Okay. So look, the short answer is I don't mind. And we'll get to price and budget in a little bit. So I think that'd be really important for PRs to know. But how far in advance of the potential partnership kicking off do you like to be contacted? I'm assuming as early as possible. Yeah, it, it definitely as early as possible. Um, Some things happen in 24 or 48 hours, but what I've found more and more, if you're working with bigger brands like Unilever or Johnson & Johnson, then those big ones, those campaigns are never going to happen very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas if you're working for a homegrown brand, which we love as well, then those sort of campaigns generally happen a little bit faster, you know. The worst thing is, from our point of view, is hearing from a PR on a Monday, the campaign needs to go live on Wednesday, (laughs) and everything's very, very rushed. And and what I've seen is the more well-briefed I am, the more well-briefed I can uh, brief my clients, Mm. and the more you're going to get out of the money that you're spending to have that person representing the brand. So as much detail and as much time as we can. And how long should someone wait before they follow you up if they've not heard from you? Let's say they've emailed you about a particular person. What's an appropriate time? I would say, you know, a day. Yeah. Overnight. Yep. Generally, I I mean, you know, and each talent manager is probably very different as well. I would say uh, if you've reached out to me or you've cold called me on something, I'm probably going to get back to you within 24 hours. Be very unusual if you hadn't heard from me in 48 Mm. hours. And what's the process at your end between filtering the information you've just received? Let's say you've had an email and a phone conversation, so you've got a, a reasonable understanding of what it is they require. What do you then do with the talent? Do you then obviously pick up the phone and talk to them about it and get their interest level? How does that back end work? Yeah, I guess as as you develop a relationship with your clients, you in terms of talent that I'm working with, you get you have a pretty good understanding of what is going to work and what's not going to work. And um, and so, you know, I speak to most of my clients every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be me just asking how their kids are or just having a laugh um, together. So I have a really, you know, inside knowledge of it, it, everything that's going on. Um, sometimes I can be completely wrong as well. And like, I'll think a brand's far too commercial for one of my clients and, you know, mention it and they'll love it. Do you therefore run every opportunity past or do you sometimes filter or do you not want to answer that question? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was actually just shaking my head at you then. Um, so, so do I run every opportunity past uh, each one of my clients? No. If there's major red flags, I mean, yes. I guess we're talking about if someone um, approaches you with a a brand or a budget that is n- not in line yeah. with what your client would be interested in, that's... I will probably recommend someone else for you. Mm. So like, say, if you want to work with an A1 person Mm -hmm. and you don't have the budget or the brand's not quite right or it's controversial or whatever it is, then I'll probably offer you someone that's a little bit more than your means. The last thing I want to do, and this is just the way that I've been trained, is for money to leave the agency or to leave. leave. And that's the reality, isn't it? So if if I can't give you... You know, A plus. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try and give you B plus and C plus and see where mm. see where we can land. Yeah. But I'll try and offer a solution before yeah. I let it go. I think that makes sense. 
Um, okay, so when it comes to executing, I guess, the elements of the campaign and the creative process, mm-hmm. how involved do your talent like to be? I mean, obviously, if it's a post for something that they control, mm-hmm. how they put that product into a picture, and I imagine yep. that therefore gets run past the, the, the client that has employed that talent. But if it's a, a, um, a bit of a larger project, how much involvement do talent expect to have? Yeah. Again, it's really different for each different client of mine. Some want to see a full creative brief and not wiggle, no wiggle room inside or out of that and just basically deliver exactly what is in that brief to the best of their ability. Whereas, um, and the briefs that I prefer is where it's a collaboration between myself, my client and the brand. And again, I think you get much more genuine results you get uh you know it looks more authentic in their feed or whatever if we're just talking about social but yeah i, I think uh a collaboration between the brand and and the talent does achieve the best results and and i guess there's something as well that i think sometimes prs miss is how the content is actually going to look inside my client's grid or inside my Mm. client's feed because this is where yes you've got key messages that need to be driven and got got across so that you keep your client happy from a PR point of view but also we have to be protective of um, of the talent's brand as well and so you've come to us to be part of that talent's brand yeah so it's really important that it looks genuine and looks organic um, within the feed or or even tone of voice for a radio interview you know that you know the key messaging that we're talking about in radio is uh, brought into the conversation in a really soft way that, that the way that they speak and this is sometimes where I think PRs can go a little bit wrong because they have not wrong just need a little bit more educating um they have specific key messaging that they want to get across as hard and fast as possible yeah and it's not always possible to do that and it's like you said, it's not able to necessarily deliver it in that exact same language. You yeah. may have had a sentence approved word for word, yeah. but your talent would communicate that in in quite a different way. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Also, if uh, in terms of broadcast and television interviewing, it is really the PR's job to make sure the producers are well enough briefed in advance so that that messaging is is dropped into the interview. Absolutely. We can keep on turning the interview back towards the key messaging, but we can't actually make a journalist ask a question. No, no, it's a really good point. Yeah. Fees for partnering with talent, uh, whether they are a like you said, uh, at the at the A end yeah. or wherever they are in the yeah. list, if they're an influencer, whoever they may be, mm-hmm. those fees can vary quite dramatically. Yes, they can. <laughs> <laughs> so when you as a talent manager are establishing a fee for that talent for a partnership, what elements do you need to consider before you go back to the PR and say, right, it's going to be X amount for yeah. them to be part of that job? So um, obviously usage is one that we look at. So how many channels is the brand going to be across? Is it across their own personal uh, social channels? Is it the brand social and digital channels? Is there going to be a broadcast element? Mm-hmm. Um, another one as well as exclusivity, exclusivity, which is really tight for us. So right. so usage could be 12 months. Mm-hmm. The exclusivity period could be 24 which right. means that buys my talent out of a category, let's say perfume, mm. for um, for 24 months, which means I can't, she or he can't work with a competitor brand, which actually stops her or him or her from earning Any income. money. Wow. So, so usage and exclusivity are the two things that we're going to really, really probably have a really in-depth conversation with each other about. And then, um, and then whether it's a, the right brand fit. Yeah. And, you know, 
again, there's no hard and fast rule, but if it's a very exciting, glamorous brand that we're very, very keen on working with, like Gucci or something, then generally the rate is probably going to be slightly lower mm-hmm. than, say... Because that's a perfect brand fit for your talent exactly, that you're managing. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Whereas if we're going to be working with, you know, an FMCG or, or a household product, mm-hmm. then usually the budgets are a lot higher because there's um, we're selling more products. Yeah. And again, Gucci is just as exciting as a household cleaning product. Yeah. And for me, who's, who've been doing this for a while now, I get far more excited about working with a commercial brand than I do a luxury brand because seeing that commercial sort of um, brief come to life with your talent is actually a really, really exciting thing as opposed mm. to just seeing something someone wearing Gucci or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. So what else should a talent manager provide to the PR to prove the worth or value of their clients? Let's say I, as a PR, am approaching three different talent managers, about three different talent that I'm interested in. My client can only go ahead with one of them. What should you be giving me to say it's really worthwhile you going ahead with my talent? Well, I mean, again, with obviously the explosion of of social and TikTok and Instagram, um, I'm going to give you a breakdown on deliverables, Mm -hmm. how much we're going to cost per media interview. Yeah. So I'll break that cost down for Mm -hmm. you. Um, I'll break down a broadcast interview, what the fee is for a broadcast interview, what the fee is for quotations, uh, for quotes, sorry, for uh, press releases and stuff. And then I'll break down the cost per post or whatever. Yep. What I'm not going to tell you is how I've come up with the initial talent fee. Yeah. Because that's something that I work very closely with with my client. And yep. there's, you know, there there is a buy-in and, we, and I'm sure everyone knows that there is a bottom level that you're just not going to budge on. Mm-hmm. And so I call them hard costs. So you've sent me your brief. I've come back to you um, with a breakdown of the deliverables, which I will break down for you in terms of line items. Right. Put them into line items for you. It's probably the easiest way of explaining it. And then I'll get hard costs. Mm -hmm. And things like hard costs are glam, hair and makeup. Mm -hmm. That's never going to be moved out of the budget. Uh, Ground transport is a hard cost that's going to be covered by the brand. And there's also the fee that is just in bright red in the bottom corner <laughs> that you're not going to oh you, we can negotiate it yeah um and you know and i expect to have a little bit of argy bargy around it uh in a in a really nice way but i don't need to justify to you yeah. how i've come up with that yep. with that figure so when it comes to the stats that you can provide about yep. your talent yep. obviously you can see how many followers they mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. um that's the most basic one. What are the other kind of ways you can justify what reach they have? Okay, so I am completely transparent about this because the last thing I want to be doing is cleaning up a mess at the end of the campaign because mm. the client's not happy with the um, amount of reach and whatnot. So what's changed this year is um, I'm working with a couple of clients now that actually use back-end stats. So there's ClearNet, Clear, K-L-E-A-R, is a company that will basically... Um, we sign over the advertising rights for um, a campaign period for Instagram or Facebook and and say Johnson & Johnson um, have a subscription to Clear. They can see the back-end, all the back-end information of my client's wow. socials for the campaign period. Hmm. That has made life so much easier. This is I've only seen this in the last, since in 2020, I've started using these. I was very sceptical of them at the, at the very beginning because I was concerned that um, the agency would then have access to uh, DMs and other, other yeah. personal information, which they don't. Okay. So there's nothing like that involved. It's made life so much easier. They can just view. I mean, they can't 
they can view they can't do anything with it yeah um and then in in a more sort of old school way i guess um and it's funny talking about social as old school but um <laughs> we will screenshot everything that you need yeah. so like each time you know you get an impression or a swipe up or whatever it is we're screenshotting the back of that information it goes onto a template sometimes the pr agency supplies the template mm-hmm. we load it in, and then it goes back to them or i'm literally um the client my client is sending me screenshots of every single post that they've done and it's obviously got a picture of it it's got the impressions it's got the reach it's got everything that you know mm. the, the demographic uh male female split age split city split everything mm. everything you need is there and whatever you need you ask me and i'll just forward it all on to you and then it's up to you guys to do whatever you want with it generally we won't do reporting for a brand unless you it's part of the budget in advance mm. so if you want us to do reporting for you and at IMG I certainly did uh, a bit of reporting um and what, would, what, what does reporting involve basically breaking down the analytics for you as right. opposed to me supplying them to you and you doing you. it at your end. I see. It's something that is really boring that I don't personally like doing. Who does? So, exactly. <laughs> so now that I'm working for a smaller agency, it's probably not something that I... In fact, I haven't done it since. Yeah. Um, but, you know, with IMG, because there's offices in London and mm-hmm. Beverly Hills and New York and, and Singapore say if we're all working on Johnson and Johnson, then there's a template that comes out from, you know, Johnson Johnson, New York, and we're all inputting the information into the same so that the campaign can be broken down into territories so they can see, you know, which countries are working and which countries aren't. But those jobs don't happen all the time. And we're talking about jobs that are usually in the millions of dollars that involve someone like Beyonce, as well as, you know, um, A-list Australian celebrities. Sure. And I guess... That's maybe something that PRs should address with talent managers at the start is what they expect to get in terms of, like you said, reporting in terms of screenshots and stuff, because you sound like you're a very diligent and I know you're a very diligent manager and and you like to dot the I's and cross the T's. But I imagine there's a number of (laughs) talent managers out there that are perhaps a little crooked and... You get to the end of the campaign, yeah. and you say, "Great, can you send me through the screenshots of what they've done?" And yeah. they say, "Oh no, no, we didn't do any of those." So, yeah. is it important as a PR to ascertain upfront what it is that you 100%. expect? One hundred percent. And I haven't seen a contract um, or a briefing document in the last year and a half or something that doesn't have that mm. in the T's and C's at the back end of the contract yep. or somewhere in the briefing document. Yep. Because, and I've got to say, you know, again, this has changed. Like certainly when I first started doing it, um, no one was asking for stats. All you wanted to see was the amount of likes. And um, obviously you can't see the amount of likes anymore, but, um, and that's how we were judging how successful the campaign was until people realized and got smarter that I, as a as an Instagram user, don't like everything that I see, but I'm still seeing it. Yes. And so this this way is this back end way is a much better sort of cost effective way for the brands. And also it does weed out the dodgy from the legit. And and I think as if any of you know your listeners are starting out and a talent manager says I'm not going to supply you with the back end of uh, of Oh, you know, the stats and impressions and reach and whatever, then I'd probably look at booking someone else. That's a red flag. Yeah. Avoid them. So one of the things I would love to get your insight on are the options of how you can spend a talent budget for a campaign and the pros and cons of a couple of approaches. So let's say a client approaches you and they've got $10,000 budget. And one option is they could align with uh, one talent who is the perfect fit for them and let's say get one post out of them mm-hmm. or two posts mm-hmm. or, and I guess it depends on what talent you offer, but let's say you also have a range of talent that uh, 
maybe $2,000. And so you could get five talent mm-hmm. all posting one each. What are the pros and cons of those two approaches from your perspective? And I guess from what you think the PR would need to consider about those choice and that? Well, I generally don't work with those $2,000 people. So, you know, what I think that spreading the money out amongst micro-influencers or macro-influencers is there's certain parts of a campaign that you'll miss. So I, and there's, again, there's absolutely no right or wrong, Mm -hmm. but in terms of me looking at a campaign, like I know that my clients will have editorial value. So if you're going to spend that $10,000 with me, I'm probably going to make sure the brand story will end up online or it'll end up running in the Daily Mail or run in a newspaper or whatever. And that's the kind of difference that you get I think when you're running a social campaign or or whatever it is that you're running if you just want a social campaign then that $2,000 spreading spreading the $10,000 across all those people $2,000 you're going to get a macro or micro level social media Mm. campaign but if you want to have further brand exposure I think spending more money on a bigger name is probably to me would be like a smarter move Mm. so one of the things that has certainly popped up again more specifically in the last week or so and what are we with July 2020 at the moment in Australia is the clarification on laws around influencers and what they need to declare. When you're one of your talents works with a brand or product, what do they need to declare legally in terms of hashtags? Is it hashtag ad, hashtag? Well, the rules and regulations actually changed last week. And funnily enough, I actually read through all couple of hundred pages of it uh, mm, on Friday. Fun. And so it needs to be an agreed tag between the brand and the influencer. At minimum, it's hashtag ad, which I personally don't like, um, or hashtag spawn, sponsor. Um, what I tend to do with my clients and at the briefing stage with the PR is we go for partnership. It would be the client's initials, hashtag CC, for example, me. Yeah. So hashtag CC partnership. Gotcha. So on every single um, branded post that we're doing in their feed, so it looks consistent, yes. um, that's what we have to do, right? So the, uh, there are three options. I think it was Spawn, Ad, uh, Partner, or whatever. I would say any of the li- of your listeners that are starting out in PR really should read that book. Uh, yes. That, that booklet because- Have an understanding have of an it. Have an understanding of it. From our point of view, um, the most important part of the AMCO code of practice is um, advertising disclosure and metrics and reporting were the two key elements that I would really suggest anyone to spend some time reading because, you know, I think in the past social media has been a little bit like the Wild West. And I love the fact that it's actually getting some clarification and some rules around it because it makes it easier for us. It makes it easier for everyone if we're all playing by the same rules. And um, and hence me spending hours, you know, mm. reading through the, the, the code of practice because I want to make sure that my clients are safe and that we're doing everything right. Yeah. And also that the brands that we're working with, they know that when you come to us, you know, we're going to do everything correctly. And I can also now advise, um, which is something that we used to do more at IMG as well, as I can now advise the, uh, the PRs and the brands, if I feel like something is a little bit, Mm. you know, you know, out of whack. So, so yeah, I would spend some time, anyone having a read through it. And like you touched on before, when it comes to PRs, it could well be that you're dealing with a, uh, you're doing the PR for a, a very small household brand 
and they know nothing about social influences or partnerships and they are 100% reliant on you. So if you don't do your homework and you don't have these understandings and you're perhaps dealing with a talent manager that is not particularly ethical or is purposely trying to avoid using those hashtags and they get caught up, your clients not will take the flack for that, but they're going to be pointing them their finger at you because you should have been responsible as the PR for having an understanding of uh, and, and ensuring that talent did that. So, absolutely, and that could then affect your relationship if it's your agency with that client. Absolutely. Um, well, you can get fined. Yeah. So, so eventually, yeah. the thing is, you know, like if you're Johnson and Johnson's PR agency, Johnson and Johnson can get fined from your mistake. Yeah. So what are some of the things you shouldn't do when you contact a talent manager? Be rude. <laughs> be rude and be pushy. Right. Because the chances are and I'm and, ruder and, and pushier than you are. So <laughs> I can't imagine what it'd be like to be rude when you're approaching someone about their talent. What do You'd people do? So what kind of things do they well, do? Well, because sometimes I find that, um, you know, uh, just because you've followed X for the last two years, you don't know them really, really well like I know them. It's referring to a client of mine. Um, and I know everyone's in a rush, but being pushy and short is not going to get you any anywhere any quicker or any faster than, you know... Being pleasant being and pleasant. nice. Mm. It's just, you know... It's just ba- it's it's just basics. Yeah, you know, common sense. You wouldn't speak to your grandmother mm-hmm. in a pushy, aggressive way. So why would you speak to anyone anyone that way? Yeah. And and so yeah, I mean that's that's it. I I've always and you know everyone has good days and bad days, but you know just polite mindfulness. It's just old school manners. There's nothing technical about it. But yeah, if I say I'm going to call you back. I'm going to call you back mm. because sometimes, you know, just to, to touch on what we spoke about earlier, I'll phone my client and check in with them to make sure it's something that they, that they want to do. So yeah, it's just be a good human. One thing I think uh, I certainly remember having going through this myself is putting together a campaign or a client saying, right, I would like, you know, I want to align myself with talent A, celebrity A. Can you find out how much that is? And if, especially at that time, I didn't have a lot of experience of, of working with talent from that perspective. I worked in-house in television publicity, but I, I wasn't responsible for doing that part mm, of it. Mm. So, and I had no idea. I don't know whether people cost $5,000 or $50,000. So, 50. 50. <laughs> so I want to check that this is okay. If a PR calls and says, look, my brand is thinking about doing an alignment I've got no idea of what their budget is. They don't know how much they should be paying. If I suppose if they can give you a broad idea, like they want to do this advertising campaign, they want them to be the spokesperson for mm-hmm. a, a new range of bikinis. Yeah. I guess you could give them a guide and say, look, totally. it, it depends on the elements of the campaign and like you said, the usage and yeah. exclusivity, but we're looking at, you know, whatever, yeah. to whatever I'll give you a ball. I'll give you a ballpark figure, mm. um, but that ballpark figure is not to be set in stone. Like, yeah. you know, until I see the deliverables and the usage yeah. and the exclusivity and all that other stuff and the media interviews and whatever, I can say something's going to cost around about $50,000, yeah. but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to come in on that. Yeah, so if you are going to approach, <laughs> if you are going to approach talent manager, then I would perhaps look at chatting with your client or your manager or whoever yeah. has asked you about it, just to get some broad 
guidelines? Is it a print advertising campaign? Yeah. Is it a social media campaign? Is it that you want them to be the ambassador for a product for the next 12 months across exactly. a lot of things? Just yeah. to have some understanding versus just, oh, wouldn't it be fun if, if this person was on board? Yeah, and even in the latter, when you say, you know, it'd be fun to have someone on board, surely someone at some point has thought that there's going to have to be a spend behind that. So, yeah, because nothing comes for free. No, and nor should it. I no. mean, this is the whole point of talent. You know, they've got this community around them. They've established these these brand, their own brand, yeah. and these alignments to uh, a very niche target audience, or perhaps a very broad target yeah. audience, and depending on who they are. Yeah. And you're asking to partner with that, and so that should come at a cost. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And I guess as well on uh, on a sort of um, another note is thanks for your contra, but. Really, in today's mm. in today's world, contra doesn't really, really. That's an interesting point. Yeah, yeah. Because um, not you. So you are not particularly interested if someone says we've got we can provide a thousand dollars worth of beauty products if your talent can do a post. <laughs> Brooke, what was that noise? That's the phone going dead. <laughs> not interested. Not interested. In, look, it's, look it's, I, I imagine there may be some, like you said, micro or macro influences yeah, where that may yeah. appeal to them. But if you're approaching a talent manager. Yeah. If you're approaching a talent manager with a certain level of talent, the chances are that I can go and buy L'Oreal Revitalift cream from under the bags under my eyes <laughs> at Woolworths myself. Yeah. I don't need three crates of it that's going to last yeah. 15 years. Yeah. So, look, you know, and it's... I I find a lot with fashion briefs, especially um, that come through, is and I, it's, I know fashion is doing a real tough time, um, but Contra is a value to the PR person that mm. is giving it to you. It's of no value to us, yeah, because. Again, when you're working with a certain level of talent, they can go and buy that love address. They can go and buy that sass and bide something or whatever it is that they want. And um, if we look at doing a partnership of Contra and Fee, that's okay. I mean, yeah. if it's if it's like, you know, if you're looking at an Olympus camera or you're looking at like hardware, then that's probably a, a much stronger partnership. But yeah, I would just, um, on, the, on the basis of fees, Contra should be looked at as an addition to a fee, not in replacement. Not the of. other way around. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think that is a really solid wrap up of approaching, of, of how you should approach a talent manager, what you should expect from them and what you should expect to provide them. So thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Brooke. If there's any other topics you'd like discussed on the podcast, head to the website and you can send me an email. Thanks for listening to the PR pod. For more expert tips on working in PR, head to www.theprpod.com.